0: I am very excited to be here today. Excited to be with you again. Um, I hope I uh, I feel a little a little bit out of sorts um, this morning, um, simply because we were there was a big fire out west of Gunnison last night, and uh, so I think I got home at 2 a.m. and um, I think I look and feel a bit like the backside of hard times this morning. So, forgive me uh, if I don't make sense sometimes. I know you're used to that with me, but um, hopefully it won't be too much more than normal. Um, Many of you know that uh, Annette, my wife, and my daughter Kate and I were in Iraq uh, back in June. And... um, But before we went into Iraq, since we were already as far as Europe, we told Kate, um, please pick a place you'd like to go for your senior trip. Uh, The tickets are already paid for that far. um, So if you wanted, we told each of the kids when they graduated from high school, we're going to do a senior trip somewhere. Well, um, we left that decision up to Kate, and um, she chose Malta. Um, Malta is a tiny island country in the middle of the Mediterranean. There's really just two islands that are inhabitable. Uh, it's pretty close to Sicily, off the Buda, Italy, and even closer to Tunisia in North Africa. That's where she wanted to go, and it was absolutely fascinating, i got to tell you. Um, we absolutely had a, a, just an incredible time. But if you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know that is where the Apostle Paul was shipwrecked in Acts chapter 28, 27 and 28. Um, because of that, there is uh, a lot of history about the Apostle Paul there, monuments, um, churches named after him. Um, and it's absolutely, prob- all the places we've been, I think it may be the most fascinating country I've ever been to, Uh, this tiny island country, Um, but the history of it is so rich, and uh, the beauty, uh, of course. Um, So if you would, I'd like to invite you to go with me on summer vacation to Malta this morning, okay? You ready? All right, let's go to Malta. First, before we go, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background about where Paul has been before this, okay? And why, how we get to this point. Paul had been in Jerusalem um, a few years prior to this. He is arrested. He's just completed his third missionary journey. He's back in Jerusalem. He is arrested. Um, they, the Jews want to kill him. They, wanna, they say, rid the earth of him. Um, but Paul has Roman citizenship which is kind of like having a trump card. And uh, because he declares his Roman citizenship, they uh, don't execute him, but they're going to flog him. He says, is it right for you to flog a Roman citizen without being found guilty of something? Of course, they don't flog him then. Uh, Being a Roman citizen was a huge deal in those days. So Paul declares his Roman citizenship, and then he, he actually, um, the governor of, at that time, is a guy named Felix. And Felix is kind of a weasel, I think, and he wants to please the, the Jews. So he, um, he just keeps Paul in prison and does nothing else for two years. Felix is then succeeded by a guy named Festus. Aren't those great names? Felix and Festus. And Festus decides he's going to look into Paul's situation. He does. He allows Paul to address him. And then he consults the king uh, in that area, King Agrippa. And so King Agrippa hears Paul's situation. And in the end, at the end of Acts chapter 26, Agrippa says, you know, if he hadn't appealed to Caesar, he could have been set free. Because he, he didn't do anything wrong. But because he appealed to Caesar, then, he is up, then they are required to send him to Rome for his case to be heard by Caesar himself. So, that's what gets us to where he gets on a boat. And so he is handed over, Paul is handed over to a centurion guard with some other prisoners, and they're put on a sailing vessel to go to Rome. From Acts chapter nine, which is where Paul comes on the scene, that's where he is converted. His conversion, he has been on an incredible ride. His conversion is detailed for us. His his uh, his calling, um, his ministry, um, well documented through the Book of Acts. but as you read through his life, you understand there is a clear driving force to him. Preaching the gospel everywhere he goes. He understands he is here to build the kingdom of God. Everywhere he goes, he is about preaching the gospel. He says in Romans chapter 15, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is known. Then in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, we find his personal mission statement. Perhaps some of you have a personal mission statement. This is Paul's. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing, if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. That's his mission statement. The driving force in his life has become God and his kingdom. Here's my question. Was Paul any different than we are? I mean, is he special in some way? Or should our lives be marked by the same driving force? Maybe Paul just had a devotion and a focus that mine lacks. I don't know. Before we go on vacation together, big family vacation, Before we go on vacation together, there's something you usually do, right? You usually look at the weather, where you're going. So I'm going to put on my weatherman hat for a minute and be your weather reporter, okay? Swapping out hats. I'm not going to give you a forecast, but I'm going to just report on a storm that just hit Malta and the Mediterranean, okay? So... I'm not going to ask you to follow along. Uh, it's not, the words aren't going to be up here, these verses, because I'm going to bounce down really quickly through Acts chapter 27. You're going to listen to this storm, okay? Then you can decide if you really want to go on vacation here or not. The Dr. Luke is with Paul on this, on this journey. He's the writer of the book of Acts. It says, Before long a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. Not very good so far. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. That's not a good sign. (laughs) On the third day, they, the ship's crew, threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. Now, I'm not a sailor, but to me that's a bit like coming off Monarch and just chucking your engine and transmission off the edge. You know? You're talking about the tackle, the rigging. When neither, verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. This is a doozy. So Paul, taking even though he's a prisoner, takes um, sort of a leadership role on the ship and addresses the rest of the crew and, and prisoners and other passengers and says, but now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as He told me. Verse 27. On the fourteenth night. (laughs) This is a two-week storm. On the 14th night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea. That's a long time to be in a storm. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. He said, for the last 14 days, you have gone, you've been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair on your head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food themselves altogether. There were two hundred and seventy six of us on board. When we had eaten when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. started by throwing your, your your cargo overboard. This is a cargo ship, by the way. Throw your cargo overboard, and you throw the riggings overboard, and now you just check what's left of the food. <laughs> um, but the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. Then the centurion guard orders all who could swim to jump overboard and get to land. The rest were to get there on planks or pieces of the ship. This is New Testament surfboards. Pieces of the ship. Maybe you want to find a new place to go on vacation, huh? Maybe Malta's not it. Paul's life after his conversion is all about the kingdom of God. So whether he's in Jerusalem, he's in Antioch, he's in Athens, it's the same. His mission field is between his feet, right? Wherever he is, that's where his mission is. So I think he looked at being in chains or being in a storm somewhat the same way. God's in control, this is is where I'm at, I got a job to do. Paul knew what his purpose was. He knew why he was here. Storms and hardships weren't going to change that, were they? It has been my experience that life's storms define or or bring clarity to values that we already hold. You know that? That's something that you already hold dear. It's going to bring clarity. How valuable is that? How focused are you? What is it that you hold so dearly that storms aren't going to derail you? Is your purpose in life so clear that when the winds blow, you're not tempted to give up, to quit? I'm reading this passage a few times in this storm. I just I just wonder how I would have fared going through a storm like that. How many of us would have thrown in the towel after just getting arrested? Or being in prison for two years. Or going through a storm. Or being snake-bitten. Yeah, I haven't told you about that piece yet. That's coming. Yeah, the hits just keep on coming for Paul. His, his challenges aren't done yet. I just wonder what my response would have been. <laughs> God, you must not be in this one. Oh, you're not blessing this trip. I think I'll, I think I'll go home. This was a mistake. It's time for the rest of the story. Paul Harvey. Does that ring a bell with anybody? I just dated myself, I know. I used to love listening to Paul Harvey on the radio. So I'm going to swap hats again. I'm going to take off my weather reporter and put on my radio radio, uh, host hat. Paul Harvey. And now it's time for the... Oh, there's quite a few people my age out there, or older. The rest of the story, the rest of the story we're going to read together. Acts chapter 28, verses 1 through 10. Alright, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to well up swell up, or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they, just, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us into his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. Verse 11 tells us they've been there for three months. That's the next chapter in the story. The islands of Malta have a tumultuous history. They have been a pawn for over three millennia. And finally gained independence from Great Britain in the 1960s. Um, They were invaded many times by Muslim peoples. But today in Malta, on the two islands of Malta, there are church buildings everywhere. Huge Catholic churches, and some Protestant churches. We didn't see one mosque on the island of Malta. The church started the day that Paul landed there. After weeks being tossed about like a cork in the Mediterranean, Paul as a prisoner lands in Malta. Now you'd have to say as a maritime venture goes, this was a huge failure. But as a mission trip, it was a huge success. What they had to endure was incredible. Today we'd make a movie about it, wouldn't we? I, I think of the, the story in Thailand just a few weeks ago of the soccer team that's caught in the, that cave. And I'm like, somebody's going to make a movie out of that one for sure. And they should. It's an incredible story. Somebody would have made a movie about this one. I know it couldn't have been Pleasant. But God is about building His kingdom, isn't He? And when the driving force in our lives is to know Him and to make Him known, then He's going to use whatever means He needs. Whatever storms we encounter, whatever things we go through, He'll use to build His kingdom. Jesus put it this way. He said, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. Is that the driving force in your life? Is it the driving force in my life? When we steadfastly seek the kingdom of God, then He can use whatever He needs, whatever He wants, whatever whatever is at His disposal. If He wants to use a storm, He will. One other thing that you oftentimes take on vacation, since you're going to go somewhere new now, (laughs) not go to Malta or the Mediterranean, um, is a good book, right? I usually take a picture book because... I like a lot of pictures, but I do have one recommendation for you. So this book is called, They Called Me Mama. And um, it is, I, in my opinion, the best missionary biography you'll ever read. Now I'm a little bit biased because it's my great aunt. Margaret Nicol Laird. This is my grandfather's older sister who uh, came to Christ and lived in Denver, came to Christ, um, attended Moody Bible Institute, and then in 1922 uh, left for Africa. She moved to um, France for one year to learn French, and then down around the uh, western side of Africa, near the Congo, and up a river into the Central African Republic. She lived there for nearly 50 years. Um, She died when I was young, but my parents took my brother and sister and I to visit her on a few occasions. Um, I didn't understand her impact then, uh, but I do now. Uh, Moody Press put this this book out. Um, You can still find it on Amazon. Um, Anyway, she married in Africa... Um, Lo and behold, she found a tent-making engineer from Denver, of all places, and met him in the Central African Republic. They were married. Um, She later buried him there. She buried one of her sons there. She encountered her fair share of storms. I read this book uh, about every two years because I'm so inspired. Inspired by just what God does when we show up, when we give Him our lives. Um, Inspired by her faith. Um, This time reading through it, I just read through it again this spring, uh, what struck me was everywhere she went, she witnessed. Her, Her training was in nursing. That was just the avenue to get to the gospel with people. That was just what she used. That's how God used her, um, on nearly fifty years, and near just before she left the Central African Republic, the government um, invited her to the capital, and they unveiled a monument in her honor, um, because God had used her in such a dramatic way in this in this country. She had witnessed to cannibals, she had witnessed to government officials, um, everything and sometimes not seeing fruit for decades, sometimes seeing fruit immediately. Her life was marked by the same driving force, to know God and to make him known. She wasn't derailed by the storms in her life. Maybe you're in a storm right now. I don't know. If so, hold on. Hold on. Seek first His kingdom. He's going to bring you to solid ground again and use the experience for your growth and to point others to Himself. And if not by chance, and He takes you home, hey, to live is Christ, to die is gain. That's how how Paul could genuinely say, "I I have discovered the secret of being content in every situation. When you hold dearly to the fact that to live is Christ, to seek first His kingdom, and if I die, it's a graduation, man. I'm moving on. That's how Paul could say that. That was the attitude he had. How many of us turn inward and the storms of life. Instead of looking for a place to land. And good soil to spread the word in. I'm sure Paul wasn't happy about this storm. Nearly losing his life. Nearly losing the lives of all, all those that were with him. But I'll bet later he was glad he landed in Malta. You know what? You see, God will take us to places we don't want to go. But we're glad we've been. He'll put us in situations we would never sign up for. But later we'll look back and go, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because I was stretched and you used it for your, for your glory, for my good, for somebody else's good. I've said this before, but there's a road that we like to four-wheel drive up and um, out above Pitkin. Uh, and eventually it's, it's a horrible road. when you get to the top of it, you you actually look down on Cumberland Pass. You see all that country above Taylor Reservoir back over to Crested Butte. Look at all the backside of the Collegiate Peaks down south. uh, As far as you can see, a little bit of the Sangre de Cristos all the way out west to Uncompagre. It's one of my favorite places. It is the worst road you've ever been on. (laughs) But sometimes the roughest roads lead to the most beautiful places. Right? If the driving force in our life is to build the kingdom, then we can relax and let the winds push us where they're going to go. Paul found in Malta people that welcomed him, listened to him. The receptivity they had was incredible. Do you think it's an accident they landed in Malta? No way. They welcomed them with unusual kindness, hospitality, protection, provision. They even honored them. Gave them everything they needed to sail on three months later. That's good soil. That's good soil for the Gospel to land in. And it's even evident 2,000 years later. Not only are there churches everywhere, but now Malt is a place where Christian radio is broadcast from into the Muslim part of North Africa. God's still using that landing, that storm. The Maltese were good soil for the Word of God to land in. And the church was established all because of a storm. Perhaps our personal mission statements need to change. Maybe we too need to be like Paul and say, I consider my life worth nothing if only I can finish the race, complete the task. By the way, the task we have is the exact same task Paul had. Right? We have the same marching orders that he had. But we can't let the storms in life detour us from what that purpose is and what that task is. There's going to be bumps in the road. If we hold on, And if we make sure our purpose is to to know Him and to make Him known, we can get through any storm. Our closing hymn is, It Is Well with My Soul. We sang a piece of it, sort of, Uh, the praise band took us through it. Uh, This is the hymn, but before we sing it, I just want to give you a little glimpse into the words who wrote them and why? The situation he wrote them in. Some of you know this story. This will be new for some of some of you. This guy's name another awesome name, Horatio Horatio Spafford, was an attorney in Chicago, heavily invested in real estate. And in 1871, the Great Fire of Chicago swept through. Um, he lost a fortune. Uh, Over 100,000 people were left homeless. Around the same time, his only son of four years old uh, died from scarlet fever. Two years later, he decided that it was time to take his wife and four daughters to Europe to go to one of Dwight Moody's evangelistic campaigns and then have some vacation. He was a good friend of Dwight Moody. Um... But as he got to New York, uh, an urgent matter detained him, and so he sent his wife and four daughters on ahead on a French vessel uh, on its on its way to England. On the night of november twenty second, the French vessel collided with another one in the Atlantic and went down. Two hundred and twenty six people lost their lives that night, among them all four of the daughters. Mrs. Spafford barely made it through with 46 other survivors, and once she made it to Wales, um, cabled her husband with the words, saved alone. Horatio immediately booked passage on the next ship he could get on, and on a cold December night in the middle of the Atlantic, the captain called him aside and said, I believe we are now passing over the place where the French vessel went down. Spafford went to his cabin and penned the words, It is well, the will of God be done. And then, a short time later, wrote the rest of the words that we're getting ready to sing. That's the rest of the story. Okay? Let's sing it together.